know the Bible can be shocking. You ever been reading the Bible and you come across a verse that just, just really captures your attention? Just recently in my time alone with God, I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And I came across Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2. And here's what it says. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Now that verse is saying, that verse is saying, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. It's, it's better for your soul to go to a place of mourning than to go to a place of celebration. Why? Why is it a, a good thing to go to a funeral? Well, that verse says it. The living will lay it to heart. When you go to a funeral, it brings you face to face with your own mortality. And it should be a sobering experience. And it should cause you to take inventory of your life. Thus, it's a good thing to go to a funeral. Now, keeping that in mind, we have journeyed all the way through the book of Joshua. And the last section of Joshua is a description of three funerals. So look there with me in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, we're going to begin reading in verse 29. Joshua 24, verse 29. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We've made it. We're going to finish the book of Joshua this morning. And what a rich study it has been. And we're going to see uh, the importance of the way that this book closes. Joshua 24, verse 29. Hey, Claire. I haven't seen you yet this morning. Good to see you. All right. I always like to know where my bride is. I just want to know where she is. All right. Joshua 24, verse 29. The Bible says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Three funerals. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we've already had to gather and sing praises to your name. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of all glory. And Lord, we come to this moment of Bible study with expectant hearts. Lord, we expect that you will speak to us by your Spirit, applying your Word to our lives. So Holy Spirit of God, would you 
Would you work in our midst? Would you open the eyes of our hearts so we would understand Scripture and give us the inclination to respond to what we learn? Lord, I pray that that Monday will look different because of what happened in this room today. Well, thank you for that grace. May Jesus Christ be exalted in this place. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Notice how this passage starts in verse 29. After these things. Now, what does that refer to? I believe it refers to the entire book of Joshua. As we've journeyed through this book, we've seen how the Lord parted the waters of the Jordan River and brought the Israelites into the promised land through that river. We saw how the Lord gave them power and even fought for the Israelites so they could drive out the peoples living there in that land. We saw how God made provision for the land to be divided up among the different tribes of Israel so they could have their allotment, the land that God was giving them. We saw a couple of weeks ago how the Lord spoke through Joshua, challenging the people to be faithful to their God. And then last week we saw Joshua's final speech, where Joshua calls them to, to fear the Lord and serve the Lord. And Joshua says those famous words, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now... After these things, after all these things have transpired, we come to the last section, and the book closes with three funerals. Now, to this point, Joshua has had kind of the feel of a braveheart or a gladiator. Wars and battles, but it ends a little bit like on Golden Pond. It it, it ends with funerals, and you you think, well, what's the deal? I mean, excitement, wars, battles, and it ends with three funerals. Well, these three funerals are very important, and there's much for us to learn from these funerals. And remember, it's better to go to the place of mourning than the place of celebration. So what can you and I learn from these funerals? There are three. I want us to take away a a lesson from each of them. First of all, in these funerals we see a celebration of a life well lived. A celebration of a life well lived. The first funeral is the funeral for Joshua. It says in verse 29, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnoth, Sarah. Now, as we see this description of Joshua's funeral, we see a couple of characteristics concerning Joshua. First of all, we see that Joshua was a proven leader. Notice it says there in verse 29, after these things, Joshua died, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. Now notice that phrase, the servant of the Lord. That may seem like a generic phrase, just kind of applied to Joshua, but there is much meaning in that phrase, the servant of the Lord. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of the book of Joshua, you see that Moses is called a servant of the Lord. Joshua is simply called Moses' assistant. So Moses was the great leader of Israel. He led them from Egyptian bondage and slavery, led them through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, a mighty man of God, the servant of the Lord. Joshua... He was Moses' assistant. And and don't you imagine that when 
Joshua took over, uh, leading the people of Israel. Can you, can, can you just imagine with me for a moment that some people probably struggled with that? I bet there's some folks that said, I wonder if Joshua is going to be as good of a leader as Moses was. Those are some big shoes to fill. I, I wonder if, if Joshua can lead in that role. I, I, I bet there were folks that wondered if Joshua could be even half the leader that Moses was. He was just Moses' assistant. Moses was a servant of the Lord. But here at the end of his life, that phrase, the servant of the Lord, is applied to Joshua for the first time. And in that we see a recognition by the people of God that Joshua was a great leader. Joshua, God used Joshua the same way that God used Moses. Joshua was a mighty man of God the same way that Moses was. He was a servant of the Lord, just like Moses. So in that phrase, that designation being applied to Joshua, we see that he was a a proven leader. He led the people of God well during his lifetime. Not only was he a proven leader, but he was a godly example. Notice what the Bible says in verse 31. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. He was a godly example for the people to emulate. Now, we see two things about Joshua's example. First of all, we see that Joshua was not a leader that said, do as I say, not as I do. You ever uh, had someone in authority over you and their leadership style was, do what you should do, but I'm not going to do anything? That's quite frustrating when someone says, do as I say, not as I do. And hey, by the way, parents, it's frustrating when you say to your kids, do as I say, not as I do. That exasperates them. But Joshua was not that type of leader. In fact, it says in Verse 30, they buried him in his own inheritance at timnath Sarah, which is on the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Now, what's significant about that? Well, it harkens back to chapter 19, turn there with me, where Joshua is given his inheritance. It says in Joshua 19, verse 49, when they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun, by command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnoth Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled in it. So Joshua was given land. And what did Joshua do? Did he say, hey, will you guys go build the city up for me and get it ready so when I arrive everything's ready to go? No, Joshua goes to his inheritance and Joshua builds up the city himself. He leaves in taking possession of that territory, just like he told the nation of Israel to do. He says, hey, God's giving you land. You've got to go possess it. So what does Joshua do? He goes and possesses his land. He is a, a godly example. He did not say to Israel, do as I say, but not as I do. He led by the way he lived his life. And Joshua's life provided this clear pattern that others could follow. Back in Joshua 24, verse 31, the Bible says, that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. The implication here is this. As long as Joshua was alive, those that were with him and those that lived after him that knew him, they were faithful. And the idea here is they were faithful because they saw 
how to be faithful in Joshua's life. He provided a clear pattern that others could follow. So at his funeral, we see that Joshua was a proven leader and a godly example. Now how in the world does that apply to us in this room? Well, I've got a question for you. At your funeral, and by the way, coming real close, it's coming. Should the Lord tarry, we're all going to have a funeral. At your funeral, what will people say about you? What will people say about you? And and here's another question. When they say it, can they mean it? You and I should endeavor to live in such a way that when people stand up and say things about us at our funeral, they will be saying them with sincerity. That they'll mean what they say. At your funeral, what will people say about your life? And here's another question. At your funeral, as people reflect on your life and look back over your life, what will they see? Will they see a life well lived? So we see that Joshua was buried. and He left an example for others to follow and he proved to be faithful to the Lord. When people stand up at our funeral, what will they say? What will they see as they look at our lives? Recently, one of our church members' uh, mother passed away. And uh, I was at the service, and during that service, this lady who had passed away, her daughter, a member of our church, and her son stood up, and they each shared about their mom. And it was powerful as they shared about their mother's faith and the impact she had made on her kids and on her family and it was so genuine and so heartfelt. It was awesome. And, and, and I was thinking, who knows you better than your kids, right? To be able to get up there and, and say these things about their mother was just incredible to see. But what about you? And what about me? At our funeral, can there be a celebration of a life well Lived. And you might say this morning, well, not so much. I haven't uh, done much of note for the Lord in my life. I don't know there's much that people can say about my relationship with God and the impact I've made. Well, listen, start today. If you look back over your life and think it's been wasted, it, it, there's no one that's going to say anything about my life that is of, of import and of impact. Start today. Draw a line in the sand and say, I will live in such a way that when people come to my funeral, they will say things about my life that reflect Jesus. They will see in my life, Jesus, start today. It's never too late to start serving the Lord faithfully. Amen? Matter of fact, if your heart's beating this morning, God's not done with you. And you can't do a thing about your past, but from this point on, by the grace of God, in the power of the Spirit, you can live in such a way that your life matters. 
you can have a life well lived by God's grace. And so the first lesson we learn from these funerals is there's a celebration of a life well lived. The second funeral teaches us this. We're in the second funeral. We see this, a tribute to great faith. A tribute to great faith. Look what it says back in Joshua 24, verse 32. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. Joseph, do you mean the Joseph of the book of Genesis? Yes, that's what it's talking about. Hundreds of years before this burial of his bones, Joseph lived in Egypt. And we're reminded that Joseph made arrangements for his bones to be buried in the promised land while he was still living in Egypt. In fact, hold your place, but turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, the last, I mean, sorry, the first book in the Bible, but the last chapter of that book. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. You remember that the Lord used Joseph to save his brothers and his father and his family during a time of famine, Joshua Uh, I'm sorry, Joseph was able to bring his family to Egypt and provide for them so they were not wiped out by the famine. So God used Joseph to to preserve the descendants of Abraham, keep that nation together as he uh, intended one day to send a Messiah through that nation. But look what it says as Joseph is in Egypt in verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph believed with all of his heart that one day God would bring his descendants, the the people of God, the nation of Israel, into a promised land. So he says, when that happens, when God brings you out of Egypt, takes you into that land, don't leave my bones here. I want to be buried in the promised land, which is exactly what happened. When God used Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, the Bible says, they took Joseph's bones with them. And here in Joshua 24, they bury his bones. So why in the world would Joseph make plans for his bones to be carried out of Egypt? Joseph made these plans based upon his faith in God's promise. He believed that God would keep his word, that God would give them the land. So he made arrangements for his bones. The Bible points out the great faith of Joseph in Hebrews eleven twenty two when it says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This was an act of faith. He trusted the promises of God. Now here's the question. Here's what I want you to kind of hone in with me for a moment. Where did Joseph's faith come from? Where did his faith come from? Well, Joseph's faith was a reflection of the faith of his forefathers. In Joshua 24, did you notice what it said about where he was buried? It says in verse 32, "...is for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt. They buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob, his father, bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph." So Jacob bought land in the promised land in anticipation of his descendants coming back to dwell in that land one day. Jacob believed 
the promises of God. So, so Joseph's faith was a reflection of his father Jacob's faith. And Jacob's faith was a reflection of Abraham's faith because Abraham at Shechem built an altar when the Lord said, I will give you this land. And so we see faith passed down in God's promises. Watch this. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. And now his bones are buried in the land according to his arrangements. Donald Madvick says it like this. The burial plots purchased by Abraham and Jacob were symbolic of their faith that God would give the whole land to their descendants. The burial of Joseph's remains provides a fitting conclusion to the long saga that began with the call of Abraham. God came through on his promises and Joseph believed that he would. Great faith. Now this is a big deal for you and for me because great faith will inspire our descendants. Just like Abraham's faith and Jacob's faith inspired Joseph, our faith can inspire our descendants. Uh, Turn with me very quickly to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you a couple verses in Hebrews that speak of the impact our faith can have. Hebrews 11 verse 4, this is the Hebrews hall of faith where the Lord recounts different characters in the Bible and how Their actions exemplified their great faith in the Lord. And look what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel, going all the way back to the first part of Genesis. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now look at this next phrase. And through his faith, Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. How awesome is that? Abel's been dead for thousands of years and we're still talking about Abel. His faith exemplified by the gift he brought to the Lord. His faith continues to speak. To people today. And let me tell you this. If you will live a life of great faith. Your faith will continue to speak even after you're gone. Your life will continue to proclaim the greatness of our God to your descendants. Even when you're no longer around, right? Though dead. His life still speaks. And then fast forward with me to chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. After he's gone through this list of these people of great faith, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What does it mean that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses? Well, in context, notice the word therefore It's referring back to Hebrews 11. The point is this. These great men and women of faith have left an example for us to follow. So here's the question. When you pass away, when your funeral comes, will you become one of those witnesses Will you become a part of that great cloud where your 
children and your grandchildren and your family can look at your life and know what great faith is? Great faith will inspire our descendants. You might say, wait, what is faith? That's kind of a a tough concept to wrap your mind around. What, what, What is faith? Faith is simply this. Faith is taking God at his word and directing your life accordingly. That's what it is. It's believing what God says and then living like it. That's faith. So if you will believe in God's word, if you will trust God's promises, stand on God's truth, and then let that shape your life, you will be living a life of great faith. And it will inspire those that come after you. See, I believe God's word is truth with no mixture of error. And because I believe the Bible, I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that God loves me. And he loves me so much he sent his only son to this earth, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and went to the cross and died for my sins. He took the punishment I deserve. I believe that because I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And then early on that third day, he rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. And because Jesus is alive, he has the capacity to give me eternal life. I believe it with all my heart, all my soul. You know why? The Bible tells me so. I believe that he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. I believe God's Word. And not only that, because of God's Word, I believe that as a follower of Jesus... The Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. He's with me always, even unto the end of the age. Yes, life is hard and and challenging and difficult, but I believe, uh, based upon the Word of God, that I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the blessed paraclete who who comes along beside me to challenge me and guide me and comfort me along life's way. I have the Spirit of God in my life. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. I believe that God is all-powerful. I believe that God answers prayer. And I want that belief in what the Bible says to shape my life. How about you? I want to live in such a way that people know, I believe the Bible. I take God at His word. Recently, I watched my family, the movie Facing the Giants. It's a football movie, but it's a faith movie. And in that movie, there's a familiar parable that's shared. And the parable is of two farmers who desperately needed rain, and so both of them prayed for rain. But only one farmer actually went into his field and prepared it to receive the rain. And the question is this, which farmer had the greater faith? They they both prayed, but one acted on his prayers. And believed that God in his power could send the rain. That's great faith. And you and I need to live in such a way. That we will 
that we will pray for God to move and pray for God to work and trust God's promises, but then act on them and live like it. And so the first funeral, we see a celebration of a life well lived. The second funeral, we see a tribute to great faith. But what about the third funeral? In this third funeral, we see a test for God's people. A test for God's people. Back in Joshua 24, notice this third funeral in verse 33. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, and which had been given to him in the hill country of Ephraim. The death of Eleazar marks the end of an era. Eleazar, the Bible says, was the son of Aaron. And Eleazar was to Joshua what Aaron was to Moses. Now remember, when God called Moses to lead Israel, Moses said in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, I can't do it. I've got these shortcomings, these weaknesses. I can't do it. And God said, I'll be with you. And Moses said, I can't do it. And so God said, I'm going to give you a helper. Aaron will come along beside you. And as we see Moses' ministry unfold, Aaron is there every step of the way. Aaron was instrumental in Moses being the leader that he was. And it's interesting to note that Aaron's son Eleazar was to Joshua what Aaron was to Moses. He was a priest and he was with Joshua every step of the way. And here's what's interesting. Eleazar was really the last connection to the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings into the leadership of Moses and Joshua. Now that entire generation that knew of the Exodus is gone. Moses has died. Aaron has died. Joshua has died. And now Eleazar has died. What's this mean for Israel? It means... The passing of these leaders called for others to step up and fill the void. Now that these godly leaders were gone, others would have to step up. And here's what we see unfold through the history of Israel. They struggled finding good leaders. Just read Judges. Judges, the next book is depressing. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. They struggled finding good leaders. There were some bright spots, but not many. The death of these godly leaders created a void that called for someone to step up and be faithful servants of the Lord and lead God's people in the right direction. What's that mean for us? Well, God's work always continues, but God's leaders come and go. Amen? And when leaders step off the scene and step into their eternal reward in glory, God's people need new leaders, godly leaders, to step up and serve the Lord. In other words, we should consistently pray for and prepare the next generation to serve God. That's why this multi-gen service is so important. The next generation needs to be ready to serve the Lord and lead the church and point people to Christ, right? We've got to have that. But we've got to be intentional. We need to pray for 
God to raise up leaders from the next generation and, and prepare those folks to lead. A few years ago, or it's been a while now, some, year, some years ago, I went through this, this uh, moment of, of um, discouragement's not the right word, maybe a little bit of, of anxiety about the state of the church. And what I saw happening was this, just kind of looking at evangelicalism. I saw godly leaders dying and going to heaven. Men like my hero, Adrian Rogers. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. I got to meet him years ago and such a man of great faith and great commission focus. And, and, and I saw these giants of the faith passing away. And I began to kind of internally kind of wring my hands. And I thought, who's going to be next? Who's going to step in those shoes? Who's going to lead God's people with that type of integrity and that type of faith? With God's anointing on their life? And I just had this kind of this moment of thinking, man, we need God to raise up some leaders. And that's still true today. We need God to raise up some leaders. And here's what I desire. I want God to raise up leaders from Longview Point Baptist Church. How about you? I was running last night and, and I was praying, thinking about this multi-gen service. And I was praying for our student ministry and, and uh, our, our children's ministry, preschool ministry. And I, I was just asking God to raise up church planters and missionaries and vocational staff members, pastors. Did you know there's a shortage of pastors right now? Do you know that churches are having a hard time finding pastors to lead them? And based upon the numbers of those in seminary who are going into the pastorate, there's going to be a shortage in coming days. And I thought, God, raise up young men to be pastors. It's a high calling. My, my, my daughter, Abby Faith, asked me last night if I want to be president of the United States. And she said, we get to live in the White House. And I said, well, I don't want to be president. And she goes, no, we can live in the White House. I want you to be president. And, and I explained to her that, that pastoring God's church is a higher calling than president of the United States. And listen, that's not an honor I deserve. That's just God's grace. And, and, and we need godly men with God's hand on their life to rise up and say, I want to lead God's church. We need, I'm praying for God to raise up pastors here in the life of our church. Godly lay people, whether they're in the medical field or, or in finance or in education or, or whatever, they will live for Jesus and leverage their lives and their skills and their resources for the Great Commission. We must pray for, and intentionally invest in the next generation. That's what Eleazar's funeral teaches us. The old guard was gone. Who's going to step up and lead? So, from these funerals we see a celebration of a life well lived. From these funerals we see a tribute to great Faith, and then we see a test 
for God's people, which leads to the point of all of this. I mean, we've been rocking and rolling through Joshua. It's been like Braveheart, right? Action-packed. Now it ends with an obituary? Oh, there's much to learn from the end of this book. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And here's what I want you to walk away with. We should consistently live so that others will be challenged and inspired by our faith in Jesus and our obedience to Jesus. We should live so that others will be challenged and inspired by our faith in Jesus and our obedience to Jesus. Would you ask the Lord to help you to live that kind of life?